Welcome back to Roll for Enterprise. Happy Year of the Ox for those who celebrate. It's the first day of the Lunar New Year. And this is actually a holdover from last week. Uh, we were supposed to talk about careers and things related to that uh, at the end of last week's episode, but we ended up talking about cloud for the whole time, and we thought this is actually worth a fuller investigation. And so we postponed the career talk to this week. So we wanted to take it from two sides. There's a lot of talk on Twitter and LinkedIn about do you need a degree to get into tech? And so there's a question of, you know, what are the routes into tech? Uh, what are the routes that so the three of uh, the four of us even uh, took into this uh, this industry versus all of us have been in the position of hiring someone? What do we look for when we're hiring someone, potentially someone more junior who has come into the industry uh, years or potentially now decades sob, sigh, uh, since uh, we ourselves entered the industry? But uh, in the... In the chatter before the show, before we started the recording, Lilac was saying she had stories. So maybe let's start from there. Lilac, tell us your stories. <laughs> you really are best in context, Dominic. Um, yeah, I mean, I think we all have different paths. For me, um, I think because I started with a CS degree, but then ultimately pivoted to the business side and Zach and Dominic, to some extent, and you, you guys have done the same, um, just moving further and further away from uh, anybody trusting me to write even a single line of code. Um, I think it's been an interesting, an interesting journey uh, with lots of twists and turns where I think most of the time um, we think of careers as very straight line. And in some industries, that's definitely true. Lawyers start and they keep going and they make partner and then, you know, they become stupid rich and they quit. And um, tech is not like that, right? It's a, it's a very... A wobbly path. Yeah, that's definitely true. I'm in the same boat. I studied computing science, and I was all set to go and uh, be a sysadmin. And then the dot com crash happened, and there were no jobs to do that. So uh, that was the first twist. But since then, I've drifted quite a bit. Uh, but I think from from the point of view of linear career development, it's terrible. It's completely unpredictable. It's completely different from anything I was expecting while I was in university. But on the other hand, now I find myself with uh, this uh, grab bag of skills in so many different domains, and I can talk sensibly to people in those domains, which is a key thing. If I find myself Having to write code, I can. It won't be great, but it'll be functional. But it means more to the point that I understand the concerns that someone who does write code for a living has. But the same if I'm talking sales or if I'm talking graphic design, anything like that. I can do enough to be dangerous or enough not to bother a professional with something very basic. Uh, but I understand what those people are dealing with, and I can have an intelligent conversation with them about it. I think that's the key to these twistier paths. So while I think that my university education was key to getting me to where I am. I'm not sure. I don't know. I, I come down on both sides of that one, firmly with both <laughs> feet on both sides of the fence. Do, do you think it's, um, I, I always tend to take a step back and look at it like, uh, and, and I have employees who struggle with this. Like, do you want to become a specialist in one domain or do you want to become a generalist? And, right. You know, I, Deep or I, I wide. Exactly. And I think we're all like generalists, but we have one domain where we're um, kind of really the expert in. But, you know, and I yeah, I think to be here to do this, what we're doing right now, I mean, we have to be generalists, right? But I, I see people always struggle with it. I mean, do you think it's like one or the other is, is better? Or are there 
you know, is it still both paths? Because I do see more of a push towards the, the you know, becoming a generalist these days. But then when you look at how companies are hiring, it's always like, oh, we want the specialist or, and you know, deep specialist, you have to meet yeah. all these, all these criteria, you know, and, and, and that's a bit. And a, these a bit, code boot camps, code dojos, the people come out of that and they have very immediately usable skills in one very, very narrow domain. And that to me is the difference between these things and a more traditional university education. Um, I learned a baker's dozen programming languages at university, uh, exactly two of which are still in any sort of production use today. Uh, but the point is I learned 13 different languages and the syntaxes and the assumptions and yada, yada, yada. And so I can pick up something new and have done several times over pretty quickly because I can say, oh, it's a little bit like this and a little bit like that. And the new thing that it offers me helps solve a problem that I would have had if I was doing it this other way. And so I can go and do that. Someone who's gone through the six-month coding boot camp is going to be more useful on day one of their, their new hire experience. Six months in, I think the generalist is going to overtake them because they have that context to call on. So I think one of the things that um, is a primary, this is my a working hypothesis, so I, I actually welcome your argument here because I've been trying to build this theory. I think one of the challenges when you're looking to progress in your career and get more and more senior, I think one of the barriers that gets people is an inability to to understand the context in which their peers are operating. And so right. this is a little to your point, Dominic, is that so like one of the things that raises my hackles is when somebody says, I don't know what Bob or Steve or Janice do all day. Therefore because it's how worthless. hard could it be? <laughs> yeah. Right. Right. How hard could it be to do whatever it is you're doing? And the truth is, is that there's usually a thousand reasons, both associated with the craft of what they do and the context in which they do it, that makes that job not as straightforward as you think it is. And so to me, but understanding the context in, in which everybody else is operating allows you to understand why they're late or predict that they will be late or, you know, give them the tools that they can that they need in order to be successful and so forth. And to me, that is actually a soft skill barrier to progress for more people than any hard skill barriers I've ever seen. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's something that you see inside companies when someone can't engage usefully with other functions in the company. You see it across companies when someone can't deal with partners or customers effectively because they don't understand the context and the motivations and you know how those people are operating. And you also see it in comment commentary upon the industry. There was a Twitter thread. I wasn't planning this, so it's not in the show notes. I'll try and dig it up in time uh, for when we release this episode. But there was this uh, New York Times article saying, oh, someone has built a better COVID website for $50. And the guy was like, no, hang on. So this is someone who's paid something on the order of $180,000 to $200,000 based on where he works and what his grade is. He looked him up on LinkedIn. So already he took two weeks to build this thing at uh, whatever hourly rate he did the calculations. And so that's already... Uh, many, many thousands of dollars worth of work. And he's running it this way and he's doing it that way. And he's and it's got all these limitations anyway. It, from the inside of dealing with uh, the government, you would have to do this and you'd have to do that. It's not saying that the government COVID website is good, but it is operating under any number of constraints and you can't do a better thing unless you understand those constraints and also operate under them. And sorry, Mike, see also Tesla. Tesla does... <laughs> Many, many things, amazingly. I've driven the thing. I love the drivetrain. 
as a car, it is terrible. It is awful. The design makes my eyes bleed. The fit and finish is terrible. Oh my god! The the Jeez. software it, you have to reboot it on the highway. It's, otherwise, your blinkers don't work. Your indicators don't work. I mean, oh, what is this? Italian giving to the Americans for Tesla. Is that is that it? <laughs> yeah, I don't. I don't know. I don't know. Uh, I never, never had to reboot it on any of my alphas on the highway. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I have rebooted on the highway while driving. Yes, yes, yes. With autopilot on. Yeah, my my, my Bluetooth stopped started working funny. But that that's a that's for another day. <laughs> but yeah, so that's that's the thing. So when I'm so my career took me in this way. Right now, I'm hiring for kind of uh, more of me. So I'm looking for people who have that varied experience. At this point in our career, we're all mumble years into our careers. I, University education is a long way in the rearview mirror, unless you're driving a Tesla and it crashed, ba-boom. <laughs> <laughs> and, but no, it's um, so I'm looking more for that mix of things. But the university education is more likely to give people a mix or the basis for building a mix than Coda, Dojo, whatever the thing is, Lambda schools, uh, all of these various education things. Yeah, yeah. I, I just want to say one thing because there is a big difference here between Europe and the U.S. Um, and and I would say even Canada and the U.S. I, I think from a base education system, and and I might get people are going to get angry, but I think a high school degree is worth more in Europe than it is in in the U.S. I, I also think there's a big cost difference, right, between the U.S. and any other country in the world, right, even Canada, you know. Uh, like if you look at me, I, I was lucky enough to go to McGill University. Uh, and, yeah, uh, Harvard is America's McGill. Um, yeah, I'll say it like, like that. Um, oh, we're going to get and, so much know, email. <laughs> yeah, we're going to get so much email. It doesn't matter. I mean, Harvard is America's McGill. Everybody needs to come to that realization. Uh, and when we do, it'll, the world will be much better. But, you know, I, I, went to a, I, I went to a great school and it, it you know, it didn't, it didn't break the bank. It didn't cost much. You know, when I, when I tell people what I actually paid, they're, they're always in shock. And I, I think here there's a big barrier to entry for, for uh, um, you know, a bachelor degree in the U.S., uh, I, I think people put too much weight on MBAs because you get, you, you learn these skills as as you go on, um, and you know, let's look at the big the big companies, right? Right, the Googles and and uh, and the others. You know, Google would only hire at some point. I think you know MBAs or PhDs or or whatever. And now you know, Google offers courses where if you take their courses, they'll give you a job after it. Uh, I, I don't know uh, that they're still doing it, but I, I believe there are because, um, you know, I see a lot of like. Google course teachers uh, speaking quite openly about what they're doing and, and teaching their their students. So I, I think the companies are, you know, they also look at it like, I, I you know, if you come in and you have a lot of student debt, I think there is like a company decision that happens where, you know, wow, we can hire people from uh, from Canada into jobs here and they don't have student debt. They won't have all these uh, these headaches that maybe some of the others have. And I, you know, I saw while I was at McGill, a lot of uh, companies that came and recruited out of there because, yeah, it was you were able to get a cheaper student, move them to the U.S. and 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 let's go, right? So, yeah, there is a big difference uh, geographically on this, and I think that's also what's driving people to say that yeah, education isn't as important. Uh, also, when you see people come into the workplace, I don't know that the education is geared correctly for them to 
be productive day one. And, and that's also a, another problem. So I am going to defend the M- the NBA world because I feel like I ought to. I, I don't know, <laughs> Zach or Dominic, if you want to join me here in, um, in that. Um, I accidentally went to MIT Sloan for my MBA. Um, now, a decades ago literally um and um america's uh, waterloo yeah okay yep. just for oh, the canadians listening. Yeah, yeah sure yeah you you, <laughs> you do that um <laughs> and, um and in doing so like i, I actually I, I will both violently defend that i had an incredible experience for a number of reasons both academically and otherwise but i will and I will encourage people to go get a, a, an MBA if they're interested in it. But I also am completely disinterested in hiring people strictly because they have that credential or from what school they came from or any part of that. To me, it is a proxy for a higher likelihood of a certain kind of experience. And you can get that experience in a number of different ways from a number of different schools and from a number of different professional contexts. It's just in some way, just one of the many indicators that I would be looking for as a potential like, oh, maybe this person has this context. And again, I'm on the business side of tech. I haven't written a line of code since I was 21 years old um, and I was terrible at it then. Um, So, you know, I think that there's no code dojo for go-to-market strategy like that doesn't exist yeah so let me let me ask like because i i mean i I don't want to sound like i'm anti-mba because i do encourage some people to to get mbas but was it the courses or was it the camaraderie with fellow people from outside companies the thought leadership you were surrounded by What, what was more valuable and i i always point to it's you know, it's the connections you make, it's the people you meet, the like-minded. It's like you surround yourself with great people, great things happen. So is it the MBA or is it the people you were surrounded by that made it worthwhile? That's a really good question. I think that there were three aspects when I think back on it. I do think that there was, um, candidly for me personally, a social aspect of it that was just given my educational background, which is bizarre. Um, It had value to me to be in a full-time educational context again. Um, I do have a a lovely network. I would say that it is not nearly, it is both better and and worse than I would expect two decades out in some ways, right? There's people I wouldn't hesitate to reach out to, but there's very, very few that I talk to on an ongoing, like super daily basis, maybe less than than a handful. Um, On the other hand, I think the biggest thing that I got from it, and I came from a context of, I went to a small liberal arts college, um, shout out Pacific Lutheran, known for a great choir, which was weirdly irrelevant to my career path. Um, the, (laughs) um, The, like, the context of how the business world operates, which does involve understanding finance, for example, and what the hell EBITDA is and and that, but also how do HR systems work? What are these different parts of an organization? What are the what is corporate governance and how does the board impact the way in which an organization has sets its priorities? I I think that most kids who do not have a parent who lives in executive management in a corporation have zero visibility into that. And as a result, like they don't only go into the workforce not understanding how anything works at some level, right? And you can hear them saying things about restructuring and layoff and M&A that is just patently false, right? Um, But then secondly, they also don't see the opportunity side of that. In having that exposure, I learned about different, essentially whole career paths that are 
you'd be blind to if your dad wasn't a banker or your mom wasn't an executive. And, you know, and, and similarly, by the way, like I know nothing about the medical field because my dad wasn't a doctor. Um, but there's a whole corporate domain that, and the doors that open by having that context and understanding how this all works. And that is the reason I think it's interesting, but again, there's other schools of experience you can have that will open your eyes to that. Some of them by the privilege of growing up in certain parts of society and some of them by just having the right kinds of corporate experiences early on. I think Scott Galloway recently spoke to the decline in, in freshman enrollment, right? It's back-to-back years. Uh, Mike, I think you had shared something with me uh, recently, and I think it was one of his uh, video podcasts. That's right. That's right. Yeah, and, you know, when you look at what's going on in the inner city, a lot of these programs that are, are starting to flourish, right, where they're, they're going into the inner cities and, and trying to offer these pro- – not trying, they are. They're offering these programs – um, that a lot of these people can take and they are taking them right. And they're, they're starting to come into the workforce. And then to your point, Lilac, I just want to address that for a minute. I think you're right. Uh, my middle son is a math major in college and he wants to go down the same road that I'm, you know, that I went down. So uh, growing up in the household and, and him being able to uh, see that firsthand. Yeah. It's, it's, it's a benefit that maybe many others didn't have, but I, I I'm, I guess I'll throw the little bomb in here, but why, I mean, what's going on here, right? I mean, do we, I mean, there are a lot of a lot of people that are going down this path that don't even need need college, right? Or do they? So I think um, I forget actually whether it was Mike or Lilac who introduced the point first. But let me add the the European perspective here. Uh, so my understanding of the US is that university is ridiculously expensive, and so you either can't go, or if you do go, unless you you come from a wealthy family, you're going to graduate with some crippling amount of debt. So there's take you decades to pay off, and it's that's not the case here in here in Europe. So there's a, a lot less of a question. Uh, university is either heavily subsidized or even free uh, at the point of consumption. Asterisk, asterisk, double dagger, etc. But broadly speaking, that's the case. And um, but even within Europe, we have some significant differences. So I think all three of you know this, but for the benefits of the listeners. So I went to high school in Italy, and I went to a non-technical high school. Uh, You get to choose not individual topics, but kind of the direction, the stream. So I went to the high school that had Latin and classical Greek and philosophy and history, and then proceeded to go to university in the UK to study computing science, uh, for which my specific high school qualification was pretty much not relevant at all. And... But because I'd come from this classical with a small C education, I had enough basis, enough context to to keep up with people who had been in the UK school system and specializing for one, two, three years in mathematical scientific topics. And so we're on paper better suited for that. Um and the But the reason that I went to the UK, apart from many, many other reasons, but one big reason was that I'd looked into the Italian uh, computing IT uh, courses, and they were parts of the School of Engineering, by and large. And so you'd spend the first three years studying some really, really complicated mathematics that's highly relevant if you're an engineer whose bridges need to not fall down, and hardly at all if you're going to be pushing web forms. And this did not sound like a good time. I spoke to a friend of the family who'd graduated like the year before or even the same year I was graduating high school. She touched a computer keyboard for her computing degree for the first time to typeset her dissertation. She hadn't done any actual hands-on keyboard programming, and this was not uncommon. So 
you can go both you can go too far in both directions you can either get someone who graduates in oven ready uh, day one they can step into the job and you can sit them down and they will start producing code but they don't have much depth behind that so that if the technology moves on the industry moves on the role evolves they will struggle or you can have someone who's so removed from that so that it takes them as quite frankly many italian graduates do a couple of years a handful of years before they're useful but then from that point on they have that depth of background that they can do really well and i do wonder if there's a a middle way i kind of found mine by mixing and matching from different countries offerings but there's probably a better way of doing that that i don't see necessarily being offered as a unified package it's becoming you know it's clear it's becoming harder and harder to pivot or or maybe it's it's age i, I don't know because i think dominic what you said re- relates to kind of how you find your way, right? How do you go from from one thing to the next thing? And um, yeah, you need the doors to open. And, and I think that's getting a little harder and harder. Or maybe it's just how I'm seeing it. I, I mean, what do you guys think? I mean, I just pivoted, so I'm feeling feeling pretty good about it. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but that's because you have that deep background, right? And because I mean, whether I it's the that... MBA or the varied career experiences, and as you say, I mean, the MBA is a proxy. I've worked with really good MBAs, present company not mentioned. Uh, I've worked with terrible MBAs. It's one signal that's a proxy for other things. I agree. Uh, I but, think yeah. it. It's. I think it requires. Um, some sort of like somebody a human to take sort of a a flyer on you at some level right and i think having the background allows you to have that um a credible case for why that might work but there's also contextual reasons why that might be tricky and frankly i'm also low-key concerned that if we if we look at who is able to do this and who has those networks and who knows how to build those networks and build those relationships we're selecting for a specific group of people now i'm lucky to be one of them but i don't and you know we could do a whole episode on women in tech, and I'd invite another one to help me here. But um, but I think I think we can look at demographics that have that sort of skill set, but also even at an earlier stage in your career, learning how to foster and build the relationships that might open up those doors is not something that I think is um, broadly known or understood. And 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 it's it's weird. It's sad to me. I spend a lot of time on on the interwebs with. Um, like large groups of sort of women in tech and stuff like that. And and I just watch the chatter and think to myself, wow, um, that's not necessarily going to be great for you. Um. Yeah, that's that's a flip side well, of uh, an implicit, non-explicit uh, career paths and trajectories that there are all these influences and uh, hidden attractors in, in that process. And I, along with many other, you know, educated white cisgender whatever males um i've built a career out of very often being asked to do something i didn't quite know and saying yes and figuring it out on the way down before hitting the ground 
And I do sometimes wonder who doesn't even get asked the question and have the opportunity to prove that they can do something they haven't already done before and proved over and over. I mean, I remember when you joined the team at, uh, when we worked together, Dominic, that was, you know, this wasn't your background. You weren't in marketing. That was and a new thing to me. Was, yeah. And it was new to you. And I, you know, you were a known human within an organization. A pivot is usually done within an organization if you can manage it because all the person's value is already established. Um, and I remember, you know, the early days of, of, of how we worked out how best to sort of get you up to speed on it. And you, you, ramped up very, very quickly, which wasn't a surprise. But um, I think depending on the tightness of the job market, how easy it is to find somebody, how specialized in tech, I think one of the things that's really interesting is that we will allow people a pivot when they have a domain knowledge in a really weird and curious domain. So you happen to know, I don't know, at the time it was like automation software, which was really niche. Um, so maybe you could do the marketing for automation software um, because going to on the open market and finding a marketer who knows automation software, I could have looked all year, right? Yeah. Yeah. We, it's, we, that, we, it's that edge though. He had that edge that um, that you wanted that pers- different perspective in that role then. That, that, that's what it sounds like, right? He brought me cheese from Italy a lot. <laughs> <laughs> bribery. Bribery will get you everywhere. <laughs> I mean, it's so, tricky, right? It's tricky, but I think it. I think it can be done. But I think it's something that needs. I think it's intentional cultivation of both your pipeline as a leader of people that might be open to that and might be interested in that kind of pivot. And and the converse is, you know, as a as an individual employee, um, thinking through broadly what you could do next and not feeling limited by your present org chart and HR definitions is really important. Agreed. So if we try to pull together all of the many different strands of this conversation, and I suspect that our audience is not starting out in their career as tends to be more advanced. So most of this is probably going to be more relevant if you're in that situation or maybe considering a mid-career pivot or your next role. If you are a new grad, and the very brief advice I would say is, Try a bunch of stuff. You don't necessarily know what you'll like until you try it. Um, But kind of the mid-career advice would be the same. Try and figure out within your current role how you can do something that will give you a proof point that you can bring to the interview for the next role that might put you in contact with people who are doing the role you think you want. You may decide that, oh, my God, you don't want it at all. Uh, That's happened to me. I tried sales, did not like it, ran away screaming. Uh, even though I'd been sales adjacent for a long time, it took doing it and being measured on doing it to realize that this really, really isn't for me. I wasn't terrible at it. Uh, I wasn't great at it, but I really didn't enjoy it. So it's always worth uh, trying to figure out if you can do that. And when hiring, I kind of look for the same thing uh, for someone who's had a finger in a bunch of different pies Uh, I don't look for people like me because if I hired more of me, then we'd end up competing for the same stuff anyway. Uh, I I like complementary skills, complementary teams, and that tends to work out best for everyone. Diversity of thought, right? Exactly. People spot something I didn't or bring a different perspective. Which is why why everybody keeps me here. Where are we going to find another Italian, Canadian, American? Is that not easy? They're growing trees. Yeah, 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 yeah. Dime a yep, dozen. Yep, yep. Dime a dozen. <laughs> yep, yep. Does anyone else have any summing up thoughts? I think 
you know, <laughs> and this is completely like a, a little off of what we've discussed, but you know, there's, there's been always this like, um, bad look at like some of the online courses and online degrees, but I, I don't know if that's changing, but somewhat it's changing a little because of, of what, where we are in, in COVID. I think that's a, a, a bit of an unlock, but I, I don't know. Like, like any thoughts there? I think it's, I think that at at some point I want to evaluate somebody on their skill set. So when I was hiring for marketing, I was evaluating, I would often look for a writing sample, right? And here's, I'm telling you the secret. Here's my big secret for writing samples. You can't look at somebody's most submitted data sheet because that's been gone through copy editing and all sorts of, if that's bad, we have a whole set of problems, right? You know where you, where you look for writing samples and is in LinkedIn recommendations. The ones that you write, you tend to write quickly because you don't have any time for this noise. And so therefore, I have your most natural voice coming out on the interwebs, <laughs> and you can see the ones that, that have been written. And so to me, though, like if somebody took an online writing course, great, like get, you know, if somebody took online product, product marketing courses, fantastic. Like to me, learning however you choose to learn is fine. I'm actually want to see how you think about what you've learned and how you apply what you've learned, because that to me is the data. I don't actually care how you got to that point. Mm, there's some well, actionable there, tips right there. Yeah, yeah. And there you go. I just, I just realized that I will never have a job in marketing. But okay, that's that's. So that's, that's, that's that doesn't, but that doesn't help. That doesn't tell me the whole story. Somebody that's coming into the industry, they're not on LinkedIn, or they're fairly new to LinkedIn. They're not sure. being asked to write them. So I mean, I, I mean, I, I agree, maybe, but I don't completely agree. I think there are some people that really aren't there. And by the way, I know several people that aren't even on LinkedIn. So I guess is LinkedIn like the official, hey, if you have a job, you have to be on LinkedIn. I I don't know. No, I mean, I wouldn't say that. But I would say that if you've bothered to write 15 recommendations for other people on LinkedIn, I'm going to look at your English. Yeah. You produce a corpus. That's your portfolio. Go edit it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Can you edit recommendations? Tippy tappy. Not without telling the person. It's actually a hot mess. It's it's the perfect place. It's the perfect place to get that data. Again, I wouldn't disqualify somebody because they didn't hadn't written any LinkedIn recommendations or weren't even on LinkedIn. But if you're going to give me that information, I mean, to me, it's more interesting than looking you up on Facebook. Mm, definitely. Definitely. It's unedited. Oh, okay. There you go. So lightning round of recommendations then. Uh, my recommendation is, this is not the first time in my life that I've had this realization, but I'm a slow learner. Uh, daylight. Daylight's important. I realized it's it's been... I, my office is in kind of a semi-basement. It doesn't get much daylight even with the curtains open. And it been really overcast. I haven't been bothering to open the curtains. Oh, I'm really depressed and my energy's really low. Oh, yeah, I should open the curtains. Daylight helps. I highly recommend it. You should try some. <laughs> Available in a city near you. <laughs> yeah. I have a silly one too, if that would help. I recently downloaded the, I don't know if you guys read the oatmeal, but he does amazing cartoons. um, Some of which will make your, make you cry. And some of them will make you laugh. Um, And he also put out the game exploding kittens. And he recently put out an iPhone or Android game called kitty letter. Um, I think it's on Android. And it is basically the unholy union of exploding kittens with boggle. Um, And so it's perfect in every way and a lovely diversion for an afternoon. (laughs) So I know a lot of people play exploding kittens. Not not my thing. I, 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 it's just awkward. Yeah, it is I weird. I haven't yeah. tried exploding kittens. I've heard good things, no. but <laughs> yeah. 
my recommendation would be coffee. We, we had this uh, whole conversation before we started recording about coffee. I think uh, best coffee that I've had in the U.S. from a roaster, Herkimer in Seattle. Everybody talks about Stumptown, all these other brands, but Herkimer is it. And I'll, I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, yeah, their espresso blend, best in the U.S., I would say. I think my recommendation would be all things Apple on 12 South. Link will be in the show notes. But uh, they have a great stand for your Mac that uh, rises up and down. I I, I like it. Um, I think it's great. And there's several other options as well. I For one, I like to have my cell phone kind of sitting up. So they have a little stand for, for my cell phone. So um, 12south.com, check it out. And I think you guys will like it. I have a couple of 12 South products I can endorse that. It's, it's uh, good stuff. Uh, if, for those of you who remember the older style MacBook chargers before the USB-C ones came in, they had a little red thing that would clip on there, and it would give you a USB-A, obviously, port, plus the power jack. So if you would only use one power socket, but you'd be able to power your MacBook and your phone or whatever else was running off USB. as uh, good stuff. I now have a USB-C variant of the same idea from someone else, but 12 South is good. Wow. That's like a double recommendation. Yeah. <laughs> Two for one. Well, with that, thank you very much for listening as ever. And uh, we need to let Lila go. She has some proper important work to be doing. Uh, but uh, have a great week, everyone. Follow the show on Twitter at Roll for Enterprise with a number four in the middle or on our LinkedIn page. And uh, we've got some uh, good guest interviews lined up for some upcoming episodes, but do keep those suggestions coming uh, or suggestions of topics you'd like us to debate. Thank you and talk to you next week. Have a good one, everybody. Thank you. Thanks, everyone.